0: Hello and welcome to The Whole Life, the podcast that seeks to connect the Christian story with just about everything. My name is Paul Woolley.
1: And I'm Grace Fielding, and today we are talking about prayer with the addition of a very special live audience here in London. So, without further ado. Very good right on cue there, audience, thank you. Without further ado, whether you are in the room or listening um, back to this, welcome to the Whole Life Podcast. (laughs) Prayer catapults us onto the frontier of the spiritual life, writes Richard Foster. To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue that God uses to transform us, he adds. But in reality, if you're anything like me, prayer can feel a bit like an exercise. You know, we know it's good for us, but actually getting started can feel like such a challenge. So tonight, what might you be able to expect from this evening? We're gonna be delving into some questions with Pete's help. Um, What is prayer? What does the Christian story have to say about prayer? And how might we, in our own lives, build prayer as daily rhythms in our life and in our work?
0: Those are such great questions, Grace. And I'm delighted to say that help is on hand in the form of Pete Gregg. Pete is an author, he's a pastor, he is the instigator of the 24 7 prayer movement, which has reached half the nations on the earth, which is an extraordinary thing. And I am especially grateful to Pete for Lectio 365, a Christian daily devotional app. Which I use every single evening. And it is so helpful in helping me pray and reflect on and frame the day that I've had. Pete, thank you so
2: much for joining us this evening. It's so good to have you with us. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute delight to be back here at LICC. I was remembering, I think, the first time I I entered this building. Uh, was quite soon after it it was established as LICC by John Stott, and I attended really a life-changing set of seminars here aimed at, I don't know, what I was 17 years old or something, that young people, students, uh, looking at, uh, you know, Freud and Sartre and Nietzsche and how those cultural forces have shaped the world and how we were to navigate that as Christians, and it really was formative for me. And I'm shocked to say this is my first time back in the building Thank since then. So uh, it's lo- lovely to be back. Thanks for having me. No, no. Uh, big... I'm glad to use night prayers. You did. You didn't tell these good people. But you confided earlier that it generally sends you to sleep at uh, each night. So, <laughs> no, no, no. Not always. No. Very. Um, but... He said he might get a bit whimsy yeah, as we do it. At I, the end.
0: Could we do the confession a bit later? I, we've huh. we've got a whole section of the podcast on that. Um, Pete, uh, let's get straight to the point, the point I would like us to get to, um, which is around what is prayer, and how did you get into prayer, as it were?
2: Um, Well, well, I I think prayer is is a loving conversation with a living God. If you're a Christian, I think that's not a bad definition. And um, I I got into prayer, I suppose, because... um, You know, the root of the word prayer in the Latin is is the same as the word precarious, precarious. And I think we all pray because life is so precarious. It's really too scary for us to handle on our own. All the research shows that. I was just with a a lady from Kiev and she said um, in Ukraine, you cannot find an atheist anymore. You just can't find one. Um, I think when we're confronted with how fragile life is and also how wonderful, Life is not many people stand under the stars and think, Behold, you know, aren't I magnificent? There's something about life that's too big for us, too scary for us, too wonderful for us. That means that to be human is to pray. So, stretching back as far as we can find in in archaeology and looking all around the world, people pray. Even a surprising number of atheists confess to backsliding on a regular basis and talking to the God they don't believe in. So but but more particularly, um, in my own life, I'm sort of embarrassed to admit that I really kind of got hijacked into understanding the priority of prayer um, several years after becoming a church leader. And uh, I really, back in, in the summer of 1999, became just deeply spiritually hungry. Uh, St. Augustine said, Thou hast put salt on our lips that we might thirst for Thee. And I just became very thirsty. And I think I was scared, Paul, of becoming the guy <laughs> that Jesus talked about at the end of the age who will try and hand him their resume and he'll say, I didn't actually know you. I, I, I think, we, you know, I realized prayer is the key to everything and I'm bad at it. And so we, we started a, a night and day prayer room because we were bad at prayer and thought we ought to try and work out how to do it. And then really God came to that prayer room in a very powerful way and the thing began to spread. And we now know that was the beginning of the 24 seven prayer movement. But I I really only got into it because I realized it's key to everything and I'm bad at it. Extraordinary.
0: I'm often very challenged by something that John Stott said um, a few years before he died. Um, Before I came to LICC, I thought it'd be good to swat up on what John Stott said. And realizing that I'd neglected him a bit And one of the things that I remember him saying, because I was in the room at the time, was he was asked if he was to live his life again, is there anything that he would do differently? He paused. He reflected on that. He was obviously thoughtful about it. And then he responded with these words, I would pray more. I was hugely impacted by that. This was John Stott, who used to set his alarm for six o'clock every morning to pray. But in fact, in later years, because he had a bit more time, he'd set it at five o'clock every morning to get up and pray. And this was stopped saying, as I reflect on my own life, I would pray more, which is a remarkable thing. I really love Pete on your Twitter feed. uh, Well, formerly known as Twitter, obviously now X. um, But you talk about the fact that um, Uh, You you say this, you say you're not into prayer, but you are into Jesus, and so you talk. Uh, You say, I don't believe in the power of prayer, I believe in the power of God, so I ask for help a lot. Do you want to just talk a little bit more about that and, and your experience of prayer?
2: Yeah, I'm just not interested in the artifacts of dead religion. I'm not interested in doing this thing called prayer or or evangelism or worship. I'm interested in Jesus. It seems to me that there's a lot of people who say they're Christians, but they really are just theists. They believe in God, and they happen to be operating in a Christian culture. To be a real Christian is to have met Jesus Christ, to know Jesus, to love Jesus. Um, In the first prayer room, I I remember I was in there at 3 in the morning thinking, I wonder if I'm insane uh, because I have friends who don't believe God exists, and they think I'm awake in the middle of the night talking to a wall. Uh, which is you know, some total of stupidity, and I, I, I began to try and process um, why am I awake in the night trying to talk to God, um, or you know why why are you out in central London? There's perfectly good bars and restaurants all around. Listening to a talk about prayer. I mean, it's it's why why are we doing this? And I wrote these lines on on the wall. It began. Um, uh, so, this guy comes up to me and says what 's the vision what 's the big idea?" I open my mouth and the words come out like this, "The vision is Jesus, dangerously, obsessively, undeniably Jesus, the vision is an army of young people. you see bones, I see an army and so on and those words kind of got out and went, went viral. but for me, this is about the lord jesus christ and uh, and a re- a real relationship with him I said to you this is this is a living a uh, uh, loving conversation. And so, um, you know, I want to know Jesus. And if I, if I said to you, you know, I have a wonderful marriage, we don't really talk. Um, and I, I certainly don't listen to her. Um, and I, I don't really make very much time for her. You would question whether we actually had a good marriage, but I think as Christians, I have a relationship with God. That's the language we use. But are we talking to him? Are we listening to him? Are we making time for him? And that's why what John Stott said um, towards the end of his life is that something actually a number of the, of great Christian leaders say as they reflect back on their lives. I wish I'd prayed uh, more. And, and I was reading some research this week Extraordinary couples who pray out loud together—the um, the 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 rates of of maintaining their marriage vows for life are vastly higher if they pray together. And uh, you know, similarly, sadly, like like everyone in this room, we we've all had our hearts a little bit broken by Christian leaders that we admired and we looked up to that have failed. But as I go around the world and I get to know some of these people, I can tell you. The first thing to go long before someone's unfaithful to their husband or wife, or, you know, turns into some rampant narcissist, is their personal prayer life. And when someone is truly alone uh, with Jesus, listening to him, talking to him, walking with him through life, that seems to me is the foundation for everything. So, yeah, I, I'm not interested in in um, doing this religious thing called prayer, but I want to know Jesus, and therefore we talk to each other. Does that makes sense. That's great.
1: I think it's so good. Um, I know we will come here this evening to hear people talk about prayer, but just to be reminded of, of that it's about Jesus first and foremost. Um, and I, I wondered if you could speak a bit to just the role of prayer um, that we see in the kind of overarching Christian story. So, you know, from sort of creation um, through you know, to the fall and um, the new creation, where do we see um, God speaking and acting and how does prayer fit into that?
2: Okay, that's a great question, Grace. Let, let's let's just do a very quick um, summary of the entire Bible, which I think is what you've just asked me to ah. do. Uh, I hope you're sitting comfortably. Uh, well, let's start in the middle. You know, it, it, Christianity has to be about Jesus Christ. Mm. And therefore, um, as we look at Christ, we see a man of prayer. I mean, if anyone ever had an excuse to say, I don't really need to do too much of the praying thing, I'm kind of perfect. Me and the Father, we're like that, you know. But Jesus often stayed up all night in prayer, rose early in prayer, and he was busy. It, it wasn't that, you know, he was just happened to be an early riser. Uh, before all, every major decision in his life, he prays before choosing his, the, his disciples. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, wrestling blood, sweating blood with the the temptation. On the cross we find him uh, uh, praying um, and so on. And so Jesus was preeminently a man of prayer and it seems to me just logical that if you're going to follow Jesus, you are therefore going to follow his example in prayer. Um, but but you asked for the entire narrative arc of Scripture. So let's just start. Adam and Eve, it's interesting, isn't it? Before there was any sin or sickness or suffering in the world, God would walk in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. So that seems to me that's significant because most of us in our prayer lives, all we pray about is bad stuff. Mm. You know, sorry for our sins, heal granny, you know, get little Johnny saved, um, help you know a church to get planted we're all the time praying into problems and yet adam and eve clearly managed to have a healthy conversational relationship with god before there were any as any sin or sickness or suffering in the world and so you have to ask what did they actually talk about and i can only imagine it was sort of nice weather you know um i think i'll call it a giraffe and and you know the, the the story I often tell about this is uh, you know I was, I, was, I was walking down the street in my my old house one day and I I, I felt God spoke to me as as clearly as He's ever spoken. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was such a sudden impression in my head that I sort of froze as I was walking, and the voice uh, just said to me, "Look at that tree." So I, I stopped and I was staring at, frankly, a, a, a pretty unimpressive tree. I thought. Um, but I was staring, at it, thinking, well, this is this is going to be my burning bush moment. Um, or, you know, I'm going to save a cat, or something is about to happen. <laughs> and literally nothing happened. So, so after a while, it, it was getting embarrassing, and people were walking past thinking I was having some kind of episode. And eventually, I assumed God had got distracted with events in the Middle East or something. And I said, I'm looking at the tree. What happens now? And I felt God say to me, uh, why do you get so intense about everything? I just thought it was a good tree,
1: mm.
2: and, I, and so I said, "Good, good, good job on on the tree. Not your best, but it's it's, uh, it's a it's a pretty good one." And my point is this: your prayer life is, I believe, at its best not when you're praying about the big things occasionally, but when you're praying about the small things continually. When mm. what um, when when when. when you're living in true daily conversation with God. So there's Adam and Eve, and there's that. Now, here's what interests me. So let's jump to the end of the story. One day, there will be no more cancer, no more crying and dying, no more sin or sickness or suffering, no more churches to plant, uh, no more injustice to fight. So many of the things that we think this is what being a Christian's about, evangelism. Well, <laughs> there won't be any more non-Christians eventually, you know, uh, church planting or fighting human trafficking. Uh, one day there'll be no more of that. So what does it really mean? And we have to go back to Adam and Eve before this sin or sickness or suffering. One day it will be you and God. And so you'd better have something to talk to him about. Mm-hmm. And so um, I- I'm not saying that we don't, petition God, that we don't need to engage in spiritual warfare, that there aren't great heartbreaking problems in the world, but simply, I want to encourage people to include God conversationally in the ordinary things of their lives, Mm -hmm. and therefore, if someone wants to ask later on the uh, amazing app thing, um, should we pray for parking spaces, (laughs) don't bother because the answer is yes, And the reason you should is because if you pray for parking space on a wet November day outside Tesco's and you get one, you get to be the crazy person who gives thanks to God for a patch of concrete in the rain outside Tesco's. And you say to me, yes, but would you have got the space if you hadn't prayed for it? And I say, I don't know. Ask Paul Woolley. He has the theological answer. I just... I just want to grow up and be the crazy old guy giving thanks to God for random stuff all the time. If you don't ask, you don't get to be as grateful.
1: Mm, It's amazing. Didn't, didn't you deal so well with that huge, big question, so um, thank you for yeah, walking us through, but with personal examples. Um, so if that's sort of um, the role of prayer in various parts of the Christian story, just to earth it, I suppose, in, in today, and what does it mean for us um, as, as Christians in the 21st century living as disciple of Jesus? Why, why is prayer important in that?
2: Well, I don't think our world has ever needed prayer more than it it does right now. Um, If this, all that is going on in the world, doesn't bring us to our knees, I slightly wonder what will. Mm. Um, But let me frame that in three ways. I think the urgent sort of call to prayer in our time is, is, is inward, it is outward and it's upward. It's first of all inward in that prayer is about experiencing and enjoying the presence of God. At a time with escalating anxiety hmm. um, and a mental health crisis and extraordinary pressures on us, I think learning to truly encounter God, whose name is I Am, and the peace in the presence of God, is essential if we are to walk through a very scary world even remotely looking like Jesus and this is the, that kind of prayer we sometimes describe as contemplative prayer um, and um, you know we, I was very challenged on this this one with you know we've got a guy in a, a, a church who you know he, he's in private equity he owns a lot of big businesses um, many of which you'd have heard of and uh, he got adrenal failure, which, is you know, is something a lot of people with high pressure uh, jobs seem to develop. And his GP said to him, one of the things you need to do, as well as changing your diet, changing your lifestyle, is you need to start to um, practice mindfulness. And gave him a bunch of book, books, which were basically pop psychology blended with a bit of light Buddhism. And... Uh, what I realized was that um, mindfulness, the practicing of the presence of God in the present moment, is profoundly Christian. It's at least 3,000-year-old Judeo-Christian thing to do. But I was so nervous of people um, accusing me of being new age or whatever, and there are people trying to ban my books in America at the moment for some of this stuff, that I'd, I'd I had stopped, I hadn't ever taught this guy with a very serious job how to not just ask God for stuff, but to encounter the presence of God in a way that enabled him to live with greater, less anxiety and more peace. And so I began to look into that and teach him some simple things such as um, uh, slow down and Uh, Centre your scattered senses, a phrase some of you will be familiar with from Lectio 365. Take some deep breaths. Some people get terribly worried about that. They think it's it's a New Age technique. And I just think if you need a Bible verse for taking some deep breaths, you're in deep trouble. It's just a good thing to do to oxygenate your system. And I can actually take you through why that's a good thing to do. I'm not talking hyperventilating. And 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 maybe a simple prayer phrase will help you to centre. Uh, for the Franciscans, it's my God and my all. For Charismatics, it might just be praying in tongues. Uh, for some people, it's it's the the Jesus prayer. But you, whatever it is, but the, now these just simple techniques that can help us to be still. So I could talk about that a lot more, but that's the first reason. In the contemporary world, if we're to to, to, to know God and look like God, I believe we need to regularly recenter ourselves on his presence. Mm. That's the inward piece. Then the second thing is um, the outward thing. And I, what, what I mean by that is this. Um, all the research shows most people you know pray. I just came out from Australia, which is considered generally one of the more secular uh, nations on Earth. And they they were kind of in shock because some major research has just been released in Australia that's found out that 70% of Australians talk to the God they're no longer supposed to believe in, 70%. And one in four Australians said, if I was invited to church, I would accept. Wow. At the same time, another piece of research has just come in, these two hadn't previously been put together, that discovered that only 2% of churches in Australia were thinking in terms of growth and multiplication and church planting. So what you have here is not a problem with spiritual um, apathy in the culture, you have a problem with, with spiritual complacency in the church. Or in commercial terms, you don't have a problem with demand but with supply. At the very time where 70% of people are talking to God and 25%, that's a market, people, say, if I was invited to church, I'd go, the church is managing its own decline, which is why I'm so passionate about calling the church back to jesus christ in the place of prayer because until we rediscover the fact that he is real his his power is real his presence is real and rediscover who we are then we're not gonna have the confidence to give to a hungry world what it's crying out for so and 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 again it's interesting isn't it that if most way more people are praying than go to church prayer isn't just this thing we do over here to try and kind of turbocharge our evangelism or something Prayer is actually a, a common missional space in which we can meet others. So in almost 25 years of the 24-7 prayer movement, what we've found again and again and again is people who don't want to be preached at do want to be prayed for. You say, can I can I pray for you? Almost no one turns you down, even though they don't believe in God. So, So in the contemporary culture, we need to pray inwards in order to know God's presence in a very hectic time. We need to... Understand the dynamics praying outwards that that our world is praying. It's not just Christians So that's a really interesting conversational piece at work Mm -hmm. and then the third thing is praying upwards and that is the intercessory piece we it seems to me have to Understand when a few hours from here right now, you you've got war in Ukraine You've got Gaza being decimated You've got Lebanon and Hezbollah, you know, on the verge. Uh, Who knows what Iran does next? We all know this really could escalate even not just into a Middle Eastern war, but a world war. This is the reality of our moment, quite apart from church decline, you know, the the terrors of, 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 you know, AI, all the rest of it. It seems to me we must intercede for God's kingdom to come at a time like this. Mm -hmm. And that's why 1 Timothy 2, says the Apostle Paul says, it's probably one of the biblical commandments that's most willfully ignored by Christians. He says the first thing you need to do when you come together as church is to pray for rulers and those in authority of you. Listen, half of them can't even do flat pack from Ikea, and we're trusting them with the world. If, if you are disillusioned with your leaders, pray that they would be cleverer than they are humanly. That means you need to pray for God's wisdom in them, pray that they would be sensible, pray that they wouldn't just be driven by their own egos. I mean, we've got to pray at a time like this. So uh, it, it was a big question, another big question, Grace, but my, 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 my big answer is we've got to pray inwards at a time like this. We've got to pray outwards because our whole world is actually in a the, in the place of prayer. And we've really got to pray outwards. We've got to intercede for God's kingdom to come in the many crises that we see around us.
1: Mm, It's amazing. I think um, that leads us really well. We we wanted to just chat a a bit about that line that we probably all know well in the Lord's Prayer that is, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, that that line is said throughout the world in, you know, many different languages. But I wonder if sometimes, especially those of us who have been um, Christians for a long time, we maybe say it, but actually, um, could you unpack a bit, you know, what what does that really mean when we pray and what, um, what could it looks like to see that that prayer realized
2: well the, the, the kingdom of god is in theological terms is the, is the rule and reign of christ mm. and um so we are praying for, for 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 god's um sovereignty to be brought to bear on our mm. on our world uh which means that the, the the kingdom of heaven breaks out in our midst And what's interesting is that Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer that we we need to pray for it. In other words, it's not automatic. It's fascinating to me how many Christians think, oh, well, God's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, therefore, just whatever he thinks needs to happen will happen, and prayer is, at best, a religious duty that makes no difference. It's not biblical. Jesus is saying you need to pray for the kingdom to come and and for, for God's will to be done on earth so in particular places in offices and streets and schools if you're the only Christian in your family you are there as a missionary you're there as a priest you're there as a prophet and a pastor you have been placed there by God if you don't pray for your family no one else is going to if you're the only Christian in your workplace you've been sent there by God pray for people and, and, and pray in God's kingdom in that place on earth and and so to put it really simply i, I want to be absolutely clear of this i believe that when we pray things change to to quote the um 80s soul band hot chocolate i, I believe in miracles <laughs> before they continue less helpfully since you came along you sexy thing uh, <laughs> but uh, but i believe in you are hearing you um but but I, I really believe that when we pray, things change. There are things that will only happen if we pray about them. this is terrifying. Often, we just don't want to believe that we carry that much authority. And I, I, we, we can unpack some of why that is. And we, we have to then unpack why it doesn't it work all the time. But it is something to do with the war of three wills. You have the will of God let your kingdom come, let your will be done, which is clearly being opposed in our world. When a child is trafficked, it is not the will of God. When a woman is raped, it is not the will of God. Um, then you have, the therefore, clearly the will of Satan. I mean, there is something demonic let loose in our world. I mean, you cannot just attribute all that's going on to the will of God. So God's, even though he is God, is not always getting his way. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And so you have to interpose in the middle the great theater of war, which is human wills. Adam and Eve, it was the battle between the serpent and God himself was was around, you know, the, the knowledge of good and evil. And will you obey God? Will you use your free will to choose God's will? Or will you use your free will, you know, to give into mm-hmm. temptation? And so that is... That we, as humans, our wills are that powerful. We are where the battle is fought, between what God wants on earth and what satan wants on earth and when we pray we are bringing our wills into alignment with god's will which is why the power of prayer is not trying to get god say amen to what i want but is me bringing myself into alignment with god what god wants in a situation Mm -hmm. jesus says when you pray in that way you'll see miracles you pray in my name Mm -hmm. you I, i will do it does that make any yeah, sense? Yeah, so no. encouraging. But what happens people often miss out Satan's will. So they think it's just God's will and our will, and they get in an awful pickle about why some things aren't happening, yeah. because they don't, they don't have a cosmology, they're not understanding there is a battle. Ephesians 6 says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, you know, cast out demons, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Jesus wouldn't be invited to speak in most churches, because they wouldn't like his theology you know not least around you know the cosmology of it all so yeah sorry was that a little too provocative I'm sure (laughs) Jesus will be invited to speak in your church um Pete that's inspiring
0: but why do we have a problem it disciples ancient and modern sometimes sleep instead of (laughs) praying and you know I know from my own experience that i can in theory prioritize prayer I, I know that it i know that it changes things i know that it changes me um i know that in theory Um, but at times all sorts of other things get in the way. The most mundane things become priorities. If the alternative is prayer, you know, I'll look at my shoes and think I should clean my shoes. I never think about cleaning my shoes. But if there's the choice between those two things, I can get distracted. Um, Or I can think about the day that is ahead and the fact there's just a lot to be done. And in that context, prayer can become deprioritized. So why do we struggle? when it's so compelling, the vision that you present?
2: Well, well, none of us are ever going to look at your shiny shoes quite the same again, Paul. I was going to say. Um, <laughs> the, you know, firstly, uh, um, we don't mean to say busyness, pride and pain. Uh, the busyness thing I- I- is, is fairly obvious, but um, one journalist said um, atheism is the religion of the busy. And um, we, are, we are so hectic that it's not easy to be still, Isaiah 46.10, and know that I am God. Um, so that's the first thing. The, 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 the making space. You know, my, 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 my friend Archie Coates uh, says the two greatest spiritual tools God has given you is an alarm clock uh, in the morning and a remote control on your TV to switch it off at night. You know, just making the space, that's the first thing. The second thing is, 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 I'm afraid, pride. Humans will do almost anything rather than pray. Prayer does tend to be our last resort, but everyone knows how to pray. I mean, you don't get anyone sort of receiving a terminal diagnosis who walks home thinking, well, I really ought to pray about this, but I I, I have a prayer problem. We just cry out to God when we're desperate. But, you know, um, we, we we tend to tr- try and trust in, 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 in our own abilities, in you know you know strategies, in, in you know, I know. there's a denomination right now trying to rebrand itself out of decline. <laughs> you think you might just want to call everyone to prayer. Um, Joy Dawson, the late great uh, New Zealand intercessor, said, "Anything not born in prayer is born in pride." so that that's the second thing is is even in humbling ourselves one of the outworkings of that is I'm going to choose to, to to pray but then the third thing and I think the most important thing to say here is that we've all had our hearts broken I mean we, we're far too mature to put it like this but something childish within us sort of says well I tried prayer on x and it didn't work and so we know we're not really allowed to admit that that's Uh, and so we don't sort of say it, but emotionally it's very real to us. And one of the problems is that the, the church is less honest about unanswered prayer than the Bible is. The extraordinary thing with the Bible is all that wasn't redacted from the text... Um, There's all sorts of things in there that if you were trying to write a sort of PR job for God, you'd think, well, you'd better not put, you know, the first Pope trying to talk Jesus out of the crucifixion. I think we'll just remove that Um, and so on. So, um, you know, what is it? At least a third of the Psalms are not happy, clappy, they're lament, they're wrestling with God. And in my own life, this is this is very real. Some of you will, will, will know Sammy, Sammy, my wife, and my story. That, that sort of the first year into into twenty four seven, as as this prayer movement started to spread all around the world, I think we, you know, we were seeing a lot of miracles, um, and I I chronicle quite a few of them in 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 books Red Moon Rising and Dirty Glory which is on on sale there and and, and they're true these are true stories they're not you know second hand they're not Christian Chinese whispers they're real amazing miracles Uh, but I think we probably became a bit insufferable because we just thought well if everyone will just pray the way we're praying we'll have Jesus back by breakfast time next Thursday it's like we found the big red revival switch and then my wife Um, our second child, Danny, had just been born. He was, I think, seven weeks old. He was in a Moses basket by our bed. And um, Sammy woke me in the the middle of the night and said she couldn't move her leg. And I was just about to tell her to stop being silly and that she must have just been sleeping on it funny. And I watched her slip into an epileptic fit. And and I thought I was watching her die. And I I remember... um, I remember how much so I had to concentrate to dial 999 and then eventually the ambulance came. And then they, they, you know, they, they, they found out that Sammy had a, a, a brain tumour, very, a very large brain tumour, larger than an orange in her skull. And um, for a long time they didn't know if they could operate. And um, they, they, in the end they were able to. It was an incredibly difficult time. Um, and, and with a basically a newborn baby and a, and a, and a, a two and a half year old, and um, I remember putting them to bed at night. That was sort of probably the hardest thing. And often thinking, will I one day have to show them photographs of their mum mm-hmm. and try and describe how wonderful she was, you know? And um, <laughs> we're incredibly lucky in that they they were able to operate and they did get the tumour out, is not growing back. And Sammy's still alive today. And we really, I mean, so many people suffer so much more than us. But um, she still lives with epilepsy to this day. And I can't tell you how many seizures my beautiful, gorgeous wife has, I've watched her slip into, and I've cried out to God to make them stop, and it just hasn't worked. And the Bible's no help, by the way, because there's actual verse about exactly this, someone falling into a seizure and, and, and um, Jesus just, you know, saying, you've got to pray harder, basically. You know, this, this kind comes out by, by, by prayer and fasting. And I, I, it's like, I think I went all from thinking that my prayers could save the world to questioning whether my prayers could save my own wife and um, really having to process that. And in the end, um, Sammy asked if I would write down some of my thoughts as I was... I I found I was massively tempted to either... um, To to one of two extremes. Either to become cynical and just say this whole thing is nonsense. I'm hurting like hell. My wife is in and out of seizures, in and out of hospital, not coping. I'm meant to be leading a prayer movement. The whole thing's a nonsense. I was very... Tend to become quite cynical, but I, the thing I couldn't deny was, firstly, the miracles we had seen. Secondly, how much I needed God. I mean, you know, you you, you can be a complete non-believer and still have this stuff. So much easier to process it with God than without any hope. Um, I, 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 and uh, I, and I could see signs of God's presence. You know, when suddenly a nurse turns up who's a believer and says she's praying or you're really down and a card comes through the post from someone with just that verse that speaks to you. So, so I didn't, I sort of wanted to become cynical, but I couldn't become massively cynical. on the other hand, I was tempted sometimes to become quite superficial to come to things like this say it's all great, yeah, you know prayer everybody and 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 not be honest about my own questions and my own disappointment and so I had to begin to work out how do you live with the paradox of of, of the, the the things God doesn't do and the things he doesn't do. And, um, and, 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 I, and I wrote a, a book in the end which was a book Sammy asked me to re, to write about it called God on Mute which seems to have helped a, a lot of people and um, I think it is vital that we are honest about unanswered prayer if we are to also be honest about the answered variety and so just coming into land on your, on your question I remember I was asked to speak on prayer at a mega church in Florida. Terrifying, turned up, and literally there was a neon sign out the front with my name on it. I was so scared. My knees were knocking. I was hiding in the toilet. And I, I, I remember I went out and I, I, I sort of gave them all my best material on prayer. And it just went down like a lead balloon. It was dreadful. It just wasn't working. And there was, there was the end of the service. Then we were sort of taken out for a a sort of a commercial break and then we'd go back in and do the second service. And I I said to the worship pastor, this just isn't working, what's going on? And he said, oh, we probably should have told you the pastor's wife died of cancer. Um, uh, It had been a couple of years earlier, but the thing is the whole church had prayed for her, had fasted, there had even been prophecies that she was going to be healed and she died. And then the pastor was given compassionate leave. And when he came back, he started a sermon series on whatever. But he never addressed, and I don't blame him for this. I mean, this is the, this is, his heart is broken. But he never addressed the deep wound and the profound intellectual questions in that church. So then some English bloke turns up and says, you know, hey, give yourselves to prayer. And everyone's thinking, it doesn't work. In fact, it's painful. And now, I actually don't think God is insecure about any of that stuff. And I think we can address that stuff, and it's vital that we do. But until we equip people to process unanswered prayer with faith, then it's going to be very, very hard to mobilize them to trust God in other ways. So um, I, I think dealing with, de- de- dealing with some of the pain around prayer is vital. And I guarantee if we went around this room or we talked to anyone listening to the podcast now, they will have their stories of unanswered prayer.
0: Yeah, we have those periods of trauma in our lives. And then we have the ordinary, boring, everyday, nitty-gritty stuff. What's your advice for how we can integrate prayer into that, to recognize that all of that also matters to God? Have you got some suggestions um, by way of mindset, but also perhaps some spiritual practices that can help us live our lives, everyday lives, prayerfully?
2: Yeah, and you know, it's such a good question because one of the things I think I understood um, previously was, was that there are just some really good tools. That, that can really help us all in our prayer lives. Um, it's a bit like if I said to you, I'll pray for you and you're going to be better at tennis. You'd know it's just nonsense. But, but, but actually, if you practice your serve, you're going to get better. at There are just some skills. Now, this isn't to detract from the fact that, you know, prayer itself is a, is, a, is a gift of grace, but it enables us to receive. And so let me just give two. The first one we've by default mentioned, which is Lectio Divina. Um, and that has been enormously um, helpful to m- many people. We have a quarter of a million people that use Lectio 365 alone now, and that is really trying to teach people how to pray the Bible, not just to study it for information and education, but to engage with it using the imagination for conversation and, and, and to how to pray the, 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 the Scriptures and to use the Scriptures' conversationally with God. And this is a, a technique It goes back to the 600s, really. Well, it goes back to the, the Old Testament, the, you know, meditating. You know, the, the King David talks about meditating upon the Word of God. Um, but, but the Jesuits particularly sort of popularized Lectio Divina. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's about um, engaging our imaginations. It's about reading slowly. It's about uh, reading intuitively. God, what might you be saying through this? So it's not about giving yourself perfect exegesis. It's, uh, it's about, as I say, using the scriptures uh, to, to listen to God. And one of the beautiful things about uh, Lectio Divina, which just means the holy reading, uh, is that um, as we grow in learning to hear God and to see God and to talk with God in the Scriptures, it primes us actually to practice Lectio Divina on the whole of life, not just when our Bibles are open, but to walk down Regent Street and be seeing God and hearing God and in conversation with God uh, in all things because, you know, He's, made, he's obviously made the world. Um, so much more we could talk about, uh, we, we developed a free Online course called the Lectio course that you can get from prayercourse.org uh, with materials for small groups that w- will help you think through uh, Lectio Divina and uh, it, it is really helpful. The other one, uh, Paul, is the Examen. Again, it's this was this was a, 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 you know invented as it were by by um, Ignatius of Loyola. Uh, the Jesuit founder. And the examine, the prayer of examine is a way of prayerfully reflecting on your day or your year or your life. And uh, it's very simple. Now, there are four steps with Latin words uh, attached to them, but the the way we do it, we make it very simple and and we just talk about recall or replay, it doesn't matter, and then rejoice, repent, and then uh, resolve. So, so what you do is you, 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 is you reflect on the day. This is our night prayers. What we're going to do at the end of this is that is actually examine, think through the day, and you ask yourself first of all, where was God in my day? And your your instinct will normally will be, oh, I don't know. Unless you went to church, you go, I guess He was in the sermon, You'd, whatever. But but actually, when you think through the day you've had, you will see that God was present. You'll see signs of His goodness, but it's often we're just too busy to do it. And so we start to rejoice. Oh, thank you, God, for that. And then, and then it's, it's also, where did I fall short today? And that's the repentance bit. And, and then out of the, the recalling and the rejoicing and the repenting, The resolving or the rebooting is, how am I going to live differently tomorrow? Now, what I love about this is it is a tool for growing in holiness and in Christian formation that anybody can do. I do it at the end of every year as well. I go through my journal for the year. And the the example I often use is, uh, I remember when our boys were were relatively small and we we were going to the cinema with them and um, another driver cut us up. And I um, gave him a piece of my mind, and my wife um, explained quite forcefully that I shouldn't, uh, I, I shouldn't have been, I shouldn't lose my temper. And I said, um, I explained that my anger was righteous, and that he had been driving badly, and that we had children on board, and that was the end of it. Okay, no big deal, easy to let that go. Um, and then I'm out praying that night, walking around the block, and I'm doing the exam, and I'm thinking through then because I'm going thinking through it in detail. I'm thinking about, oh yeah, it's the cinema and that drive, and suddenly it's back, and I'm remembering losing my temper with the guy, and I just, you know, I pushed back against my wife, but suddenly it's God convicting me, and I kind of sighed and said, oh, I'm so sorry, God, my temper is so short. Make me patient, you know, I'm so, and all of that. And I sense God saying, okay, just if you just go and apologize to your children. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, you are taking this so seriously. You don't know what driving is like around here, you know. And so I go back into the house. The boys are in bed, but they're not asleep yet. And I go to each of their rooms and I say, hey, do you, do you remember driving to the cinema? You've probably forgotten, probably didn't notice, but. <laughs> I cut me up and I, I got a bit cross, and both of them each went, mm hmm. <laughs> and so I said, I, I, I'm sorry, that's not how I want to be. That's not how I'm supposed to be. That's not what a Christian's like. I don't want you to grow up and do that. And, um, and it's interesting, both boys said, It's okay, Dad, I forgive you, and gave me a big hug. Now, that, without the exam and that, that I tell you what, I would have forgotten that in seconds. And I'd have moved on. But I made space by recalling to allow the Holy Spirit to convict me and therefore to repent. And therefore, let's hope to drive a little bit better the next day. So can you see how we want to become more like Jesus? But here is a tool that if you put it into practice, will help you to grow in Christ-likeness. So the Lectio Divina and the Examine. And to make it super easy, there's a free app that you can download called Lectio 365
1: so helpful um i do have one more question but i must confess i also had a sneaky peek at the questions that you have been sending in um and i think there's a bit of overlap and we'd love to give lots of time um to hearing from you guys so um somebody has asked let me just get the question up um which Christians have inspired you in their prayer life? I'm sure we, we all know what it's like to be around people who just model this so well and it's it's captivating and it it spurs us on to want to pray. Um who have some of those people been for you, Pete?
2: Well, you know, it's rather more more, more sort of Famous Christians. I love biographies. There was a great uh, OMF missionary to the Lisu tribe called J.O. Fraser. There's a great biography of him by Eileen Crossman called Mountain Rain and his prayer life. Just extraordinary. Learned a great deal from him. Hudson Taylor, extraordinary man of, uh, of, of prayer. Uh, George Muller, you know, praying in all the money for all those orphanages. Extraordinary stories. I, I mean, like everyone, I can recite those, but let me be more personal. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a godfather called Michael Curry, Um, actually his wife was John Stott's uh, secretary, uh, Vivian, and Michael prayed for me every single day of my life, until he died in a mountain climbing accident on the Isle of Skye, and he was never a famous Christian leader, or um, he struggled with depression, but I cannot tell you, I can't even imagine how that has shaped my life. His faithfulness in prayer. Um, and, and let me be even more personal. Um, in December last year, my, my mother, who who's again been faithful to me in prayer, had a massive stroke. And so she's now in a nursing home. She's unable to speak. She just sometimes says the word yes, occasionally says the word wow. Um, she has cloudy days and clearer days and um, she can't really walk, and she's fed through a tube. And it does funny things to you, you know, when the person who taught you to speak can't speak, the person who fed you can't feed themselves, and so on. Um, But here's the thing, when I go in to see her, as I do as often as I can, and hold her hand, sometimes wondering how much she's even understanding, and pray with her, not always, but often she will squeeze my hand and she'll say, Amen. Hmm. Wow. And I sort of think, even here, even now, especially here, especially now, she's almost nothing else she can do, but she can still pray. Yeah. And that inspires me yeah, enormously. Mm-hmm.
0: Extraordinary. I've um, got a couple of questions here. One is... Um, I think you've answered this indirectly, but is the extent to which monasticism or the early church fathers or mothers have influenced your approach to prayer. We talked about Lectio Divina and the prayer of exam, and so I guess it has quite significantly, right?
2: Yeah, profoundly. I mean, the, the, the church mothers and fathers of the Egyptian and, and Syrian deserts were um, extraordinary both in their prayer lives, but also, and this is something that's often ignored, their spiritual warfare. I remember I asked the former Bishop of London to come and, and teach on, on on prayer once when I was the director of prayer at HTB, and and he, he he talked about spiritual warfare. I mean, you expect Pentecostals to talk about that stuff, not Richard Chartres, you know. But but it's because he he's been deeply influenced by by by, by the Egyptian Orthodox tradition, and um, uh, you, you know, some I, I I'm deeply influenced by by, by the Celtic Christian traditions, and, and have twice now walked from Iona to Lindisfarne um, in the footsteps of St. Aidan. And um, I'm, I'm deeply impacted by the sort of holistic nature of their. Their prayer. It seems to me any spirituality separated from meteorology, from the weather, and from topography from the landscape is probably fake. I mean, we have to outwork our faith in the real world, and that doesn't just mean at work, uh, you know, in the office. It means in a world of mountains and rivers and, and farting cows and everything else. Um, who knew that cows did that? Uh, I discovered in, in one of my holy moments. and. Um, so, 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 you know, I think there's a great deal to learn, and 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 uh, you know, we we've amazingly, um, you know, had the opportunity to revive one of the ancient abbeys in this nation, um, Waverley Abbey uh, near Farnham. So, you know, just between Heathrow and Gatwick, um, 112 acres. And and what's interesting is that. This was first set apart as a monastery in in the 7th century at the time of the Council of Whitby uh, by a Saxon king called Kedwalla and uh, has been a place of prayer there for for more than 1,300 years. The new kids on the block were in the 12th century. The Cistercians established their first Cistercian Abbey in this country there at the time of Bernard of Clairvaux. They prayed uh, night and day, you know, for almost 500 years and made beer and worked the fields and uh, then Henry VIII shut them down. And, uh, and, and so there's this extraordinary legacy of prayer in that place, And uh, we are now seeking to revive that. And uh, we're moving a pray- we've moved a praying community back in, and there's a wonderful college there that, 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 that trains Christian counselors. And so that's enormously exciting. Um, and uh, actually I spent this morning uh, looking at the seven spaces, with a, a guy called George Lings, the seven spaces of ancient monasticism and how they affect our discipleship. So the answer to that question is yes, a lot.
1: <laughs> Wonderful. Um, we have obviously heard you speak a little bit about unanswered prayer. There's a question here. Um, how do you explain unanswered prayer to children or teenagers um, and sort of from that, how, how do we encourage them?
2: so that's an excellent question one of the defining moments in my parenting was um you know I, I was getting home to the house one day i suppose our boys were probably 9 and 7 and um a, a, an old lady had been knocked over in the road outside the house and killed um and I arrived, the flashing lights were there, her body was still there with a blanket over it. And I went into the house, and it was an extraordinary moment of almost dissonance, because every instinct was to protect my children, and there they are. Hi, Dad, and shut the door behind me and just put on a stiff upper lip. You know, darling, just keep the children inside for a bit. And I just thought, I think my job as a dad is to take them out of the house and let them understand what has just happened outside the house and have conversation with them about that. And we did that. And um, I think what underlies that is a conviction that, with our children, our job is is, is not to keep them away from the swimming pool. It's to teach them to swim. And so they are going to encounter unanswered prayer. And it's far better that we, as parents, firstly show that that doesn't unsettle our faith even when we don't understand, we can still trust. By the way, children are better, or children every day of their lives trust even when they don't understand. It's only when you become an adult you start to think it's impossible to trust if you don't understand, okay? So children normally have far less dissonance around unanswered prayer uh, than adults. And so I think helping them first of all see it hasn't rocked my faith or my trust, Um, but neither do I feel I have to cover up for God, and it's okay to say I don't understand. Um, secondly, I mean, someone answered prayers. There are real answers that we can give. I mean, C.S. Lewis talks a lot about about this, and um, and helping them to understand that sometimes it makes sense that that God, that God hasn't done that thing. That, that you know, you, they prayed and prayed to pass their exams and they failed, um, but or whatever it is. So, my. my my primary response is to endorse the question rather than provide an answer of saying let 's actually go there with our children, our young people, and talk about disappointments with God and questions and I think you 'll find they will then trust us more when we talk about the encouragements, the miracles, the things God has done.
0: Hmm. Brilliant, thank you. I was looking at research and um, some research recently in the last few weeks that shows that 75% of young adults raised in Christian homes have left church by the age of 35. 75% of young adults raised in Christian homes have left church by the age of 35. And there's some research that looks into the reasons for this. One of the six reasons that is given is that the church is often too protective. And I've been thinking about that, I think that's absolutely right, that often our instinct is to protect rather than to equip uh, our young people to be resilient in the world and to understand it as it is and to navigate it as it is. And I think that there's something therefore absolutely in what you say about, you know, look at it as it is and let's prepare um, this generation, next generation for, for things as they are. Um, and to live all of life with God in that context. Um, Pete, we've got a question here on how do we differentiate between hearing God's voice and our own? What do we do about that?
2: Good question. (laughs) Um, And forgive me, but there is a book you'll find on (laughs) the way out on your right-hand side called How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Um, And, uh, of course, that's a question that could be uh, deeply painful or incredibly trivial. Um, it's very easy to delude ourselves that our own uh, preferences are God speaking, and um, of course, people sometimes do terrible things thinking they've heard the voice of God. Um, the, there's lots. I mean, that's it's a massive question, but the the, the, the simple thing I always say is A, B, C. Um, so, you know, the 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 the, the Apostle Paul. Uh, talks, says, you know, we should eagerly desire to prophesy. Um, he, he wasn't saying, uh, if only if you're a charismatic, he was just talking to Christians, you should eagerly desire to prophesy, in other words, to hear God and speak God's word. And he says that, uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that prophecy is for encouragement, um, strengthening, upbuilding of the of the church. So when we say, well, I don't want to do that, we are basically saying, I'm going to uh, resist a gift that can encourage, strengthen, and build up the church. And uh, then people often say, well, how how on earth do I know if it's God or not, when I've, you know, got a, a, a thought in my head, a picture, an impression, you know, whatever it is. And the ABC rule is this. You ask, firstly, is it affirming? Secondly, is it biblical? And third, is it Christ-like? And let me unpack that. Affirming is, is this going to encourage the person? Is it going to strengthen them? Is it going to, um, you know, be a blessing to them? Now, you will quickly come back to me because you're all very biblically literate. Say, well, there are plenty of prophecies in the Bible that aren't very encouraging. And Jeremiah specialized in them. And I would say, yes, you're right, but why don't you get really good at the affirming ones before you jump to the nasty ones? That's just... (laughs) That's just my personal advice. Um, Secondly, B, is it biblical? Now, by that, I don't mean can you find a Bible verse to back this up, but is this in line with the broad sweep of the revelation of who God is in Scripture? Um, And then third, is it it Christ-like? This is the most important. Does it sound like Jesus? Does it feel like Jesus? And so, for example, if I, I don't know, got a impression that I should, you know, share with someone that, you know, um, God loves them. I don't need to wrestle with, is this God or is this just me? It's going to affirm them. It's definitely in line with Scripture, and it's definitely Christ-like. It doesn't really matter too much. If it's, you know, I think you should marry the stranger on the third row. Uh, then I, I think probably I, I might want to engage some godly counsel uh, and I might need to think about an appropriate way of sharing that and, uh, and I would be very nervous about anything that was directional and saying, thus saith the Lord. So, it's a big question. I've just given you the real sort of primary school uh, answer there, but ABC is not a bad place to start. I noticed everyone was looking at the stranger on I know, the I was as well. <laughs> <laughs> he's waving, he's available, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, the man in the light blue t-shirt.
1: <laughs> um, Pete, you've been so kind to share some personal examples and testimonies um, in your own life this evening. Um, we've had a couple of questions about are there certain stories or testimonies um, of got at work through prayer that have kept you convinced or have kind of motivated you when perhaps you're struggling more to pray or um, things just feel more difficult? The,
2: the, the exact, I mean look, I can give you lots of amazing miracle stories and those will be partially helpful, but partially unhelpful, because in some ways it's the small things that are most important. That's why I like the examined, because what you will find is most days God has answered at least one prayer in your life. But if you don't pause to really properly reflect and give thanks, you'll miss it. Okay, so, um, so, so, so in a way it's those things that sustain me. Now, I'm someone, I'm a doubting Thomas. I, I naturally don't find faith easy. It's, it's ironic, because I grew up in a Christian home. My wife certainly didn't. She was completely non-church, and she's brilliant. You know, she's just, she just trusts. She's amazing. Um, I mean, I, I, I remember one time she was waking up in hospital, and I said to her, "Darling, do you just wonder sometimes if there isn't a God?" And she, she said, oh, thanks so much for coming on a pastoral visit to propose <laughs> that my <laughs> suffering is of no consequence," and I'm Merely a highly evolved flukes on a rock spinning out of control in space. Thanks so much for that massively hopeful worldview that you're deciding to adopt at this moment of crisis in my life. She's very good at faith. I, 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 I tend not to be. And it means that you know, when we see a, a real miracle, uh, I'm the one dancing and going, this is amazing. The Jesus thing's true. And and they say, "Mm, you're our pastor. You're meant to believe this stuff. It just makes me even more relieved. It's true. Um, So I don't know. Well, I do know one that's just popping into my head because I I, I share a a more dramatic one. But um, we were just in Vienna. We just had a a 24-7 Europe conference in in Vienna. Uh, And uh, it was reminding me of of the first time we went there because... um, I'd I'd received a word from someone, a word from God, uh, via text. Uh, Someone had texted me and said, I believe the Lord is saying if if you will keep prioritizing the poor, I will give you the palaces. And I just thought, hmm, what do I do with that? And I thought, well, you know, when you hang around charismatics, everything is metaphor, so it doesn't mean an actual palace. It means I'll get a jacuzzi in heaven or something, you know. um and i just thought i you know, we just keep doing what we're doing you know with the poor and 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 god's sort of vaguely encouraging us because i'd never you know i don't know many people with palaces and they don't seem to have any to spare um and then it was it was very soon afterwards i received a phone call uh from austria i uh, didn't recognize the number and the voice on the phone said uh, I'm phoning on behalf of Cardinal Schönborn, Christoph Schönborn, who's one of the most senior Catholics in the world. He was actually a favorite to become Pope. And uh, Cardinal Schönborn would like to invite the 24-7 prayer movement to come and use uh, his cathedral for a 15th birthday party. And uh, the is is the number one tourist attraction in Vienna. And I suddenly thought, this sounds dreadful, because I know our lot. They're used to like nightclubs with sticky floors. They'll break something. So, so and you know, Mozart used to be in the choir in this place. It's a World Heritage site. So I, I said, well, please thank the Cardinal very much indeed, but, but no thanks. Don't think it's a good fit. And the voice the other end said, that's a shame, because the other bit of his message to you is he said, he'd also love you to have full use of his palace. and. And, and just, just because I'd never been offered a palace before <laughs> and it had come within you know, a couple of days of this prophecy, you keep prophesying, I'll give you the palaces. I suddenly thought, oh, God is cold calling me from Austria. <laughs> and so I gulped and said, oh, well, in that case, if there's a palace involved, <laughs> please, please thank the cardinal very much indeed. And so we packed out the Steffen's Dome, We had a thousand people in there praying and worshipping. It was wonderful. Um, but, uh, you know, the books are full of, full of stories like that, mm-hmm. of those moments you think, well, I don't have enough faith to believe that that's just fluke or coincidence. I think there must be a God who makes the seasons work, who makes, you know, everything work at a molecular and a intergalactic level and loves us and is at work in His creation for His glory.
1: Mm-hmm. Amen, what a good place to um, wrap things up. Um, Thank you everyone for your questions, for your participation and Pete, thank you so much for being with us this evening. Um, As we've mentioned, we have three of Pete's books, some of which he's referred to, um, to buy tonight at a special discount. So do have a look at the bookstore before you leave. Um, I believe we have Dirty Glory, How to Pray um, and the latest book that I think he referred to, How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Um, And um, yeah, Pete, will be out in the foyer um, signing those, so do make your way if you'd like to.
0: Yes, thank you, Pete. I've been um, really inspired and and challenged and encouraged this evening. As you were speaking, I was reflecting again on the life of Jesus. It's an extraordinary thing, isn't it, that in the life of Jesus we see someone uh, to whom the crowds are often attracted. The crowds are always trying to get to Jesus to the extent that Jesus needs to very deliberately, very intentionally get time away from the crowds in order that he can be with his father. In our own context, it sort of seems the other way around. We're always trying to get to the crowds. Maybe, just maybe, if we adopted more of the life of Jesus, we would find that the church comes a place where people are attracted and want to be present. Um, And so maybe the the challenge I take away is... um, the Stott challenge and is the Pete Gregg challenge and is the challenge of the New Testament to um, be more intentional about prayer, to take that more seriously um, and to recognize that that is living all of life in conversation with the God of the universe um, who is committed to making all things new, putting the world to rights. Amazing, amazing vision. And we're so grateful to you, Pete. Um, Would you please show your appreciation to Pete Gregg?